Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in this series, In the Good Life, and we're today just wrapping up the series that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And And so if you're new with us, this is the end of a series today. And so if you missed some of those, and if today kind of piques your curiosity, and you want to learn a little bit more about what this series was about and some of the ways that we unpacked this good life that God has for us, I would encourage you to jump on. You can get on the website, rlcpullman.com. You can find it on our YouTube page as well and all that stuff. So it's, it's pretty easy to find online. Uh, and those of you that are watching online, thanks for joining us. I know we connected uh, as a church and uh, uh, with Blessing Beds and with a lot of people from our church family. We connected with a lot of folks yesterday. And so if somebody's joining us that we met yesterday or joining us online, just want to say thanks for tuning in. Thanks for showing up. And we uh, look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. So, hey, we are wrapping this up. And I love that video for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, I have put in a request for a Ferrari um, because I think it will help me serve other people. <laughs> and by your smiles, I can tell, I, I'll give you all rides, right? Right? It's, I've got an amen. Like, you guys are way more supportive than first service. They did not think it was a good idea. But I love some of the things that he said in there. I, I love how he talked about that one thing that caught my attention. He said, it just feels right. It feels like something you should do, that you should bless other people. Like, like he said, it's not about the cars, it's about the people. And that little picture right there, that story of what this guy's doing with his stuff is such a cool image of a thing that we're going to unpack today. We're going to talk about this idea of biblical stewardship, like managing things and thinking like a steward versus thinking like an owner. And this guy has uh, a life where he is walking that out really well, thinking like a manager instead of an owner. And and it's really important, this idea of biblical stewardship. When we're talking about living the good life that God has in store for us, um, we've talked about all kinds of things through this series, the idea that it's countercultural, that uh, the good life God calls us to is a really generous life where our God is abundant. We, a couple weeks ago, Corbin talked about how like, no matter how much you just try to give away God's love and God's blessings, that God just continues to provide. Like God's a God of abundance, not uh, you know, like tightly holding on to the few things that we have. And the last thing we're going to talk about today in really fully embracing the good life God has for us is that it's so important that we understand and wrestle with and grow in our ability to think like a manager. And in the Bible, that's called stewardship. And there's just such a big difference between salvation, like coming to know who God is and receiving salvation, and then actually fully living and walking in the good life that God has for us. Like, are you saved? Yes. Are you fully living the good life that God has for you? Many people aren't. And I, I'm here to tell you today that, that not understanding biblical stewardship is a big part of what holds people back from this abundant life that God calls us to. Um, it, it's a little bit like this. I, I, I think about these crazy things that we all carry around, the smartphones, right? This is a amazing supercomputer. It will do so much stuff. The, the things that this little device will do, 
the vast majority of us have no idea what this thing is capable of, and we, we barely tap its potential. It's got a processor in there that'll work with all kinds of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of apps and edit videos and, and photos and make music and all kinds of, just amazing, amazing stuff. And most of us just barely tap the potential of our smartphones, which I'm reminded of every time I call my mom. I don't know if your mom has a smartphone, but mine does. It hasn't helped. Um, So every phone call with my mom goes something like this on her smartphone. First, she has to find it. And so I'm going to make a cord attached to it next time I go up there. And so she finds it, and then it always goes like this. Hey, Mom, how's it going? And she starts to tell me. And then it's like, and all of a sudden, I can't hear her anymore. It is like, I'm like, Mom, Mom. And I'm yelling in the phone as if that's going to help, right? Like, hello, put the phone next to your mouth. And she's like, oh, and I don't know if it's just because it's square. It just doesn't compute, like, that you have to hold it up like a regular phone. I'm like, all right, Mom, let's switch it up. We'll do speakerphone. So we try speakerphone. How do I do that again? I'm like, oh. Like, I'm like, I'll tell you what, let's text. I can't ever find those text things on here. Where do they go? I'm like, I'm like, can you go to the neighbor's house and call me? Right. Is there a child there that could help? So my sister and I are lobbying to uh, get her a landline now. We're going to go back to the old school corded phone, rotary dial. Just keep it simple. But I just, it makes me laugh, and I think all of us can have those similar experiences. But there's just a huge difference between owning a smartphone and fully using it to its potential, right? And I think the very same is true when it comes to this idea of really living the good life that God has for us. That Peter says in, in 2 Peter that, that God is slow to come back. He's patient to come back because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants people to repent and come to know him. And so we've got this good God who is patient and wants everybody to get to know him. But there's this huge difference. There's this big gap between getting to know, like turning from your sin and and putting your faith in Jesus. There's a huge gap between that and actually living this life that Jesus says in John 10, 10, that, that, that he came to give us life and life abundantly. In some translations, I like uh, the one in the NLT uses the words that Jesus came to give us a rich and satisfying life. And I just love that picture that that paints, that Jesus came to give us a rich and satisfying life. And so there's this land in between where somehow a lot of people, it seems like, put their faith and get to know God, put their faith in Jesus, but it seems like a lot of people wouldn't describe their walk with Jesus as rich and satisfying. And it's like, what's going on in the middle that holds people back. And, and I think one of the things is this idea of stewardship. In the Bible, stewardship is really just a way of saying it's like how you live your life, right? And the word in uh, the Greek text for steward, uh, the root word that the word stewardship comes from is called oikonomos. Oikonomos, right? I liked it because it sounded like oink. And in Colfax, there's a lot of kids in service. And the kids in service thought that was funny when I did the oink thing. And I, I laid low on it here because I didn't think you guys would bite. Oikonomos, right? And it just means this. It means to be a manager of the household. And that's the root word that ties to stewardship in the Bible is that you're a manager of a household. And 
I want to share some stories with you. We'll dig into the text a little bit. I'm going to share a couple of different stories with you to help you wrestle with and understand thinking like a manager of the household, all right? Uh, A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I went to work for a guy uh, before ministry. I went to work for a guy, and actually I was kind of laughing when I was looking at the timeline of when this happened. It was pushing 20 years ago, and I'm like, how does that 20 years ago already? It just feels like not that long ago. And so I went to work for a guy who I had met at church in Post Falls. And then we had ended up going to a home group together and became friends. And he needed somebody to help in his business with sales. This guy, his name's Kip, and he is awesome. Um, And so Kip needed a guy to help with sales. The problem was the business that he had, I had zero experience or knowledge in. It was about handheld computers and printers and maintenance contracts and software, all of which at that time, I was basically like my mom in a smartphone. Like I was of no use to him when it came to like expertise in this field, but I was really good at sales. I'm really good at relationship. I'm really good at people. I'm like, if it comes down to talking to people, I'm your guy. If we have to talk about the computers, you need to be with me, right? And so I knew going in when I went to work for him that I was going to have a huge learning curve when it came to all of the technology and the computer part. What is interesting is 20 years later, I don't really remember any of that stuff. I don't remember what we learned or what kind of, I don't even remember the names of the things that we sold or the software or any of that stuff. What I do remember really vividly and has actually shaped and changed my life a lot are a a bunch of lessons that at the time I had no idea I was going to learn them when I went to work for him. That's the beauty of hindsight, right? Like when I went to work for him, I thought I was going to learn, I was going to have a big learning curve about technology. I had no idea I was going to be getting a master class in biblical stewardship. Never even occurred to me at the time. Most, honestly, as I was going through it and working for him for the time I worked for him, it didn't really occur to me at the time. It was as the years have gone by, as I've matured in my faith and leaned in to become uh, closer and closer to God, that God keeps reminding me of stories when I think about stewardship and the stories that he reminds me of, the real life examples that God goes and he brings up to me. It's like, oh yeah, I taught you that once. Do you remember? It was here. And here's how it happened. Like, Kip, is a really cool Christian guy, and, and I knew he was a Christian because we met at church, and then we were in home group together, but then what happened is I went to work for him, and I don't know if you guys know this, but the person that you sit next to at church, and you see every once in a while, like every third Sunday, you bump into each other, and you go to home group together, when you go from that level of relationship to every day in the same office, it's different, right? You see a whole bunch more of the person, and it's either going to be for better or worse. You don't know, really. Well, with Kip, thankfully, it was for better. And what I ended up seeing was a Christian guy who was really just a regular Christian guy all the time. And I got to watch as he lived out his faith and how he talked about employees and people that worked uh, there and uh, shipping people that would come by and customers that he would have. And I got to see all the ups and downs of how he behaved and how he talked about things throughout all the good and bad stuff that happens as a business owner. And one of the things that I really noticed about him often, but I couldn't put my finger on it at the time because as a young Christian, it just seemed weird a little bit, but I didn't know that God was giving me this master class in stewardship, is, is all the time he would talk like this. He would say, all this stuff is God's stuff. This business is God's business. But then the way he acted 
He actually acted like he didn't own the business. He actually, like, the way he spent his money, the way he took care of his employees, the way he talked about his customers and did things, it actually lined up with him talking about, I don't really own all this stuff. And when finance things would come, he would talk about how he was just managing God's money. And it just struck me as kind of a curious way to think about being a business owner at the time. And then later in life, I, I, I've been able to look back on that and go, you know, that was God giving me this amazing lesson that lines up with exactly what is taught throughout Scripture, exactly the things that Jesus taught that we'll dig into today, is that a person that actually thinks of their resources, their wealth, their health, their supplies, their stuff, as just a manager of them, not an owner of them. And I just thought, man, what a cool thing. And then now, to be able to reflect on my own life and where I'm at at this season of life, and to be able to think back how much that time with him influenced the way I think about stuff now. It's one of those things where probably a lot of us have people that have influenced in our lives, whether it was a relative or a grandparent or a parent or just somebody that you worked for. And, and you often sort of, not that you discount it, like you take it for granted, but you sort of just forget how much like poured into you from that relationship. And it's been in this series and digging in and studying and learning about these things to look back and go, man, I benefited way more than paychecks for the time that I worked for him. I didn't really know it at the time. And so it's shaped and changed. For a long time, when I thought about owning a house and owning stuff, I was really excited because I wanted my stuff, right? The American dream. I wanted to own a house, and I wanted it to look like this and be like this, and I wanted it to be my own little private castle and sanctuary. And for a lot of times, I had this idea in my mind that I wanted it to be for me to like hide away to get away from ministry and busy and crazy and all the stuff all the time. And I, and I wanted to have all this stuff and I wanted to have this type of TV and I wanted to have this kind of thing. And I, I had all these ideas that were really about what I wanted and, and, and what was going to be good for me. And that came down to Jeeps and motorcycles and toys. And now here's the thing. I still like all that stuff, but I've noticed over the years that I think very differently about it than I used to. And all of a sudden, I've caught myself talking and saying things that sounded a lot like Kip, what I thought 20 years ago were weird, and now I'm saying the weird stuff. I'm like, this doesn't belong to me. I just get to manage this stuff. Like, this is, uh, like the house that I have now absolutely was a gift from God. Like, it was in the market that this crazy place is in, in Pullman, to get a house for under $200,000, good luck. I got a house for under $200,000. It, it had a bunch of space to be able to take care of and do the repairs and have the, the money and some equity to be able to do some of the things that I was able to do, to have the ability and the know-how to do the things I was able to do and to improve the place. I was like, these are such gifts from God. And I totally look at that house and I'm like, this is for you, Lord. What, like, I just get to sleep here. What do you want me to do with it? to the point where I've tried to design and map out everything about it so that long-term it's just more and more useful for God. I just get to camp out there. And to see some of that stuff come to fruition is such a cool thing. We had probably, I don't know, at any given time yesterday, 50, 60, 70 people uh, testing out the patio at different times throughout the day yesterday and the deck and people all over the house and the yard full of stuff. And we did as 
gigantic blessing beds extravaganza day and people everywhere and in and out of the house and where's the bathroom and can we do this and you're getting there before we do go in the kitchen and grab stuff and start cooking it's like community property thank the lord i married a wife who thinks just like me right And it's just cool to see how God used not only my time in the Word over the years, not only uh, just maturing and and me changing as a disciple, but how he started to plant those seeds and shape the way I would later think about ownership versus management long before I ever thought I was learning about it, right? So this idea of stewardship is really a big deal, and it's really important, and I think that... um, Kip and probably everybody else that has really done well, like embraced the idea of thinking like a biblical steward, I think everybody's kind of really understood three things really well. And I want to unpack those three with you really quick today. These three things are things that are foundational. Like without these, if any one of these is missing, you're going to wrestle with the concept of thinking like a manager of God's uh, things as opposed to thinking like an owner. The first thing is this, that, that Christ created everything. Christ created everything. In Colossians 1, 15 through 16, it says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as the thrones and the kingdoms and the rulers and the authorities and the unseen world. And everything was created through him and for him. See, this whole foundation of thinking like a steward, managing God's stuff, starts with the idea that God created it all. He was here before everything. God made it all. The, the next thing that we got to understand is that Christ owns everything. Not only did he create everything, Christ owns everything. We see this show up over and over throughout Scripture. You remember a few weeks ago, we unpacked the story of Job, and this is a part in here where Job, or where, excuse me, God was responding to Job. In Job 41.11, he says, Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. God was reminding Job of his position, reminding Job, like, hey, remember who you are, remember who I am. Everything under heaven is mine. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him, right? Like Christ created everything. Christ owns everything. It, it, it all belongs to him. And now here's the part where it gets mysterious for me and it gets awesome and exciting and a little bit terrifying is this third one is sort of the key to it all is that Christ delegates responsibility, He delegates responsibility. We see it a couple of times as the way Paul talks to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says that we are both uh, God's workers. You're God's field, you're God's building. Like We're tools in God's plan. We are used by God. We are engaged. We're in the game working at God's plan. In, in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, he says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and ignore it. And Paul's writing to the early church in Corinth and he's trying to go to him, like, he's trying to help him understand, like, you've received, there's this amazing, awesome blessing of salvation to get to know and put your faith and trust in God. And then God who owns everything, who created everything, is inviting you to participate in managing a slice of it for him. 
He's like, don't take that for granted. Like, we get to partner with God. And it's kind of a crazy idea to think about that level of responsibility, but it's just the way God designed it. I don't know if you've noticed, but you don't normally see members of the Trinity out farming or building houses or preaching, right? But if you look with eyes of faith, you do see God at work meeting the needs of his people, drawing people to them, uh, to him through faith. God cares for his creation and for his people through delegated responsibility, through, through us. We see this show up over and over throughout scripture. So I think those three truths, they're not the exhaustive list of everything you need to know about stewardship, but there are three things that are fundamental to our foundation. If we're gonna really anchor ourselves and start to build a life that is like learning to think like a steward and a manager as opposed to an owner. We cannot get there without remembering that Christ created everything. He owns everything and he actually delegates responsibility. And when those things start to actually permeate our thoughts and our worldview, it starts to shape the way we think and act to be more in line with this idea of biblical stewardship. And it goes over and over throughout Scripture. We see these examples show up. Uh, In fact, Jesus, as you would imagine, was pretty big on talking about stewardship and this idea of managing what God's entrusted us with. Over 30 times we have parables of his in the Gospels. There's more stories than that. Those are the ones we have recorded. Then he used these stories to teach. And if you look at a a, a huge percentage of the parables, we'll tie back into this idea of stewarding, managing what God has given you, like managing your relationships, managing your personal body, your health, uh, managing your finances, being an overseer of uh, what resources God's given you, being an overseer of the uh, business that you are entrusted with. Like over and over, the stories tie back to this concept of like, here's, these are lessons you need to learn to keep redirecting you away from trying to like feel like you own it all and redirecting you to think like, what would a manager do with that health or that money or that business? And one story that Jesus told shows up in Matthew and Mark. And I want to unpack the one for you in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. This is a, a parable of a vineyard owner. And it goes like this. In chapter 12, verse 1, Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard, and he built a wall around it, and dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice. And he built a lookout tower, and then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. Well, the owner sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant was, he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. And the owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Well, what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? Jesus asked. Well, I tell you, he'll come and he'll kill those farmers and leave and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. 
Well, the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling a story against them, that they were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left them and went away. Now, the thing that's interesting to me in this story is that in the beginning, there was no question that they were renting the land. They were overseeing the land. There was an owner, and, and he said, I'm going to be away for a while, and I need you to do X, Y, Z. And everybody was on the same page. And then the owner left. And then at what point, at what point in time did the people that knew they didn't own the land or own the farm or own the grapes or own the, the prophet, at what point did they switch from thinking like, I'm working here as a manager, I'm just overseeing this for the owner that's gone, but somewhere, something switched, and they started to think like, this actually could be mine. What if I was in charge of everything? What if I could call all the shots? And the longer they were there, the easier it became to convince themselves that they actually did own all of it. I mean, after all, the owner hasn't been here forever. He didn't do any of the work. He didn't till any of the soil, plant any of the stuff. We've done everything. I mean, who, what's he going to do? Like, so he's going to send somebody to collect money. I mean, hey, great. I know how to solve that. We'll just take that dude out. And then we can keep the profit and the farm. Somewhere along the way, they started to think as if this was actually theirs. And, and it's one of those things where I think that we look at this story, we look at a parable like this, and it's easy to look at it through our kind of advanced, modern, wise, personal situation in life and kind of look back on it with a, uh, like, well, that was kind of an old-fashioned story for an old-fashioned time, and, and that, it, we just aren't like that right now. And man, how easy it is to be deceived. How easy it is to... to to realize that we easily slip into this ownership instead of management mindset. We get into this spot where, where somewhere along the way, the thing that we always hoped for, the Ferrari that I really want to take kids' rides in, right? Like, I, that sounds amazing. And how easy would it be to have a Ferrari that you can't remember the last time you gave a kid a ride in? Because all of a sudden, it just became about your car and your thing, and it's too nice, and what if they spill, and, and what about the insurance, and, the, and all of a sudden, it's yours, and you're bearing the burden for it, and you're taking responsibility for it, and it's all about you. I think that's just one of those things that we all wrestle with. I know I wrestle with it. I don't know if you guys are the only ones that don't, but I definitely wrestle with that. Like slipping into that ownership mindset. As I was preparing for this, I, for some reason, God just kept bringing to mind some stories of people that I had loaned things over the years and how some of those went well and some of them didn't go so well and sometimes you never got the thing back and all that kind of stuff. And I thought about different times where I'd loaned people cars, uh, different times over the years. I've had extra vehicles and, and, and I've had people that needed to borrow a car and I've loaned cars out. And some, again, sometimes it's gone well, sometimes it's not gone well. And, and I was just daydreaming, thinking of a story, like kind of a modern day parable that I think I would relate to. And, and I just wanted to share with you, like, imagine you have a car. You've got an extra car. You really sort of need it. 
but you, you could get by without it, right? And you've got a good friend who's something's gone bad in their life and they need a vehicle or they're going to lose their job and it's probably going to be an extended loan. This isn't like, can I just loan it to them for the weekend? This is probably going to be two, three, four months before they save up enough money to replace or repair their other vehicle. And so you kind of know going in, like this is going to be a bit of a sacrifice. Like I'm not just, I'm not just, not just a quick, I'm going to get it back in a week. So you're really thinking through like, do I really want to do this? Do I not? It's not that about it. Like I don't, they get fries in the seat or whatever. I mean, that'll be okay. But like, I, it's, it's an inconvenience to give up this extra car. But you bite the bullet and you're like, I feel like I'm, it's the right thing to do. And so you loan out your extra car knowing it's going to be for a while. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. I always have felt good about myself when I did it. So we feel pretty good about ourselves. And we give the car away. And a few weeks goes by and it seems to be going just fine. And you bump into the person every here and there and everything is great and they seem to be doing okay. And then, well, it seems like, I don't know, four or five weeks in, a, a friend in common gives you a call and says, hey, I was just checking. Did you end up selling that car to the other person? And, and, the, and you're like, no, 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 they're just borrowing it. And they're like, oh, but something about the way they owed got your attention. You're like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's just a weird thing. I went by their house the other day, and as I was out for a walk, I, I saw the car. I guess it's your car. I thought you sold it to him, but it's your car, and it's in the driveway. And the weird thing was the doors were open, the door panels were ripped off, and they were like one of them looked like it had actually been folded over. It was really messed up. And then there was speaker wires hanging and some stuff, and it just caught my attention. Like something seemed wrong. And so I walked up and I looked in the car and the dash was like stripped apart. Like I don't, it looked like a space shuttle tore apart in there. I don't even know how they would know how to put it all back together. And so I waited to see if they're around to see like what had happened, to see if they needed help or, and they never were around. And it seemed sort of weird. Not only could I not find them, but like it was all just open. Like, so I thought you must have just sold it to them. Well, at this point, when you have loaned the person that car and that's the story you hear, you're like, <laughs> you're getting a little nervous twitch, right? Like, you're, you're like, so you call them real quick, no answer. You text them, no response. It goes for a little while, and, and they just are totally uh, ghosting you, right? They're not responding to you. Um, I learned from my son that when that happens, it's called somebody's putting you on red. So you get put on red. There was more students in first service. Y'all don't know what that means. That means they don't respond, so you get put on red, they don't respond, and finally you're like, all right, what is going on? And then the late, like a week goes by, and they text you back, and they say, everything's fine, thanks again for the car, it's been, it's, everything's working great, and you can tell they're just blowing you off, and you're like, nah, uh, 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 uh. So you go over, and you start tracking them down. You go to their house, and sure enough, the garage door's down, it's locked, the, you can see in the window, the car is in there, and it's like, it's all pulled apart. There's stuff hanging out everywhere. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Another week goes by before you finally get face-to-face with this person. Now we're like two months deep into this loan. The car has been pulled all apart. Your blood's a little bit boiling, right? You don't know what's going on. You're feeling really blown off and ignored and underappreciated. You finally take the time to pray, like we do. And you go talk to them. And, and you're like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, nothing. Everything's fine. You're like, it's not fine. Like, it's, uh, this is not okay. What's going on? How come you're doing this? And like, you know, I actually have had the car quite a while and I really like it and, and it, it fits me really well. I, I kind of felt like at this point, like, you've been so long without it. It almost felt like it was mine and I kind of just figured I could do what I wanted with it. 
I don't know how you would respond. But I would have a hard time being nice as I got the garage door open to get my car home, right? Like, it, it, it's just one of those things where if, if it was us, if it was our thing, and we loaned it to someone, to steward, to just, you, you don't own this, you're just going to use it for a minute, and someone started to act like they owned our thing, man, it would be so easy to get defensive, to get our hackles up, to, to go like, no, 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 wait a minute, like, we were really clear about this, you don't own it. Don't treat it like you own it. But how easy is it for us to do the very same thing with our stuff and our health and our finances and our houses and our cars and our toys? We do the very same thing to God. God provides everything for us, the very breath in our lungs, the money in our bank accounts, the cars, the houses, the all of it. God, God created all of it. He owns all of it. He just asked us to steward it. And it's so easy to get in that spot where we're like, yeah, but but it's mine, right? And I'm just here to tell you that, that when we really want to embrace the good life that God has for us, when we want to be able to say about our relationship with God that we are living a rich and satisfying life, a life that is abundant, that Jesus said, come, follow me, that not only is the, the burden easy, but I want to give you abundance, a rich and satisfying life. If you want to be able to, to like know that my life with God is, is deeply satisfying, as long as you're holding on with a closed grip to the stuff, to the money, to your time, to your talents, it's me, mine, mine, you're going to just never get any closer to that rich and satisfying life that Jesus calls you to. But the minute you start to like live with open hands and you start to change the way you think and talk and you start to say weird things like Kip used to say about like this all belongs to God and people are like, huh, that's weird. I thought you bought it. And you're like, yeah, with his money. And they're like, that's double weird. And you're like, I know, I'm that way. I'm weird that way. Like, I actually think God made everything. God owns everything. I actually just genuinely believe I just get to, like, oversee it for however long he lets me oversee it. I will tell you, your life will start to change. Your relationship with God will start to change. The abundant and, and, and level of love that you have for God and feel from God will start to change. And here's the cool part. Not only your relationship with God will start to change, but your relationship with the people around you will start to change in a really cool way. Here's the cool thing. I don't know if you've ever been, uh, you've ever had a friend or someone you know that is just lives like this for real, like this open-handed living where they're like, if I've got something and you need it, it's yours doesn't really matter if it's red Ferrari or a junky Volkswagen Beetle. They're just like, hey, if you can use it, I, I, like, if I have it, you can use it. Tools, time. They're like, if I've got the stuff, I, I, it's yours. And they live that way. Like, all of a sudden, I got, I got news for you. That's an easy person to love. That's an easy person for people to love that don't even know Jesus. All of a sudden, they start loving somebody that's like Jesus, and they didn't even know they were loving a Jesus person. They're like, that's a likable guy. You see the way or gal, you see the way they treat people, you see the way they think about their stuff. It's different, and I like it, and I want to know more of the, about them. It's amazing how these things work. In the end of your sermon notes there, there's some questions in there for kind of some stuff to chew on. And I just want to challenge you to do what I've been doing. 
Um, I, I want to challenge you to dig in and think about um, your stuff, your relationships, your finances, your house, your boat, your tools, your toys, your whatever. And, and I want to challenge you to wrestle with, like, are you really managing them for God? Or have you taken over ownership of the vineyard? What if God sent somebody to borrow one of them? He was like, oh, I know somebody that's got one of those. I'm going to send him over to Steve's house. And he sends him over to Steve's house, and Steve's like, yeah, God had given me that a while ago, but I changed my mind. I was just going to keep it for myself. Right? And so these questions that are in here are really just designed for you to dig in and think through your stewardship to help you wrestle with some of the different things. Uh, I just want to look at the very first one with you before we take communion together. The very first one is this idea. It says that if all the stuff in your home or your apartment belonged to God and you were just managing it or taking care of it for him, how would the conversation go if he came to check on his stuff? If you get a knock on the door and God shows up to say, hey, remember the blender I loaned you, right? The lawnmower, the pick your stuff. Like, how would that conversation go? And the more you wrestle with that, the more you start to release the grip and open the hands and start to change the way you actually think about that. Like, like the, the way you think now is grounded in the fact that God really did create everything. God doesn't really own everything. And he's just delegating responsibility to you. And that starts to shape the way you think about your stuff and your money and your time and your talents. It will change the way you act. You will actually start to act like a manager and not an owner. And when you start acting like a manager, your relationship with God starts to become much more rich, much more satisfying, much more abundant. Your relationship with others becomes much deeper, more enjoyable, more joy-filled, like God wants to bless you. He is not short on stuff. If you loan it out, he has more. And so I just encourage us to wrestle with that. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.